Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Hey, we're going to pick back up in our series, According to Peter. And uh, for those of you that missed, I'm not going to have time today to recap Um, This is week five. Um, You can go back to the website or podcast to to catch up. But here's the premise. We're looking at two letters that Peter wrote to the New Testament church, to believers. And this Peter that we're reading, that he wrote wrote these letters, is not the same Peter that we read in the Gospels. You're saying, hold on, Pastor Don, I thought it was the same guy. It's the same guy. He's just different. He's matured. He's, he's grown. This is later in his life, and we get the benefit when we read these two letters of seeing the wisdom of this man that has walked with Jesus for a long time. And so when we're reading, we're walking all the way through chapter by chapter by chapter. For those of you that are keeping track, good news. We'll be leaving chapter 2 today, jumping right into chapter 3. And I love this because he's, he's writing to Christians not to convince them to follow Jesus, but rather to equip them to keep taking next steps on their spiritual journey. That's really what he's doing. He's saying, hey, I know you know who God is. I know you know who Jesus is. I know you've, you've given your life to him. Now, you're still on this journey. How many of you realize giving your heart to Jesus and letting him be the Lord of your life is not the finish line? In many ways, it's the starting block. And there's a life ahead of us that God has called us to live. And I love seeing how Peter approaches these things, these next steps for us. Every one of us is on a spiritual journey. Let's see if we can see some next steps for you today. Today, Peter is addressing marriage. And here's why I think that's important to everybody. Regardless of whether you're married or not married, whether you've been married or never intend to be married or any of that, a marriage has impacted your life. Might have been a good marriage, might have been a bad marriage, but nonetheless, every single person here, even if just the next door neighbor was married, there was a marriage that impacted your life. And you may be married or wanting to get married, but Peter's going to show us what that looks like. And you may have been married, and I'm, I'm super sensitive to this, and, it, and your marriage may not have worked out. Perhaps it was one of the most sens- uh, painful seasons of your entire life, but I want to encourage you today, before you check out, let's take a minute and see what Peter might have to say as we unpack this, these chapters and these verses. And I think um, a definition is probably the best place to start as any. Um, question for you, how many of you think that defining what you're going to talk about is important? Right? Uh, any, any gumbo fans here? Right? How many of you make a good, good gumbo, a good mean gumbo? I, I don't know what kind of gumbo you like to make, but I got news for you. If there's tomatoes in it, it ain't a gumbo. It's, it's, it's not a gumbo. You may have a pot, a stew, there may be some food in there. But how many of you like, definition's important. If there's tomatoes in that, don't you dare call that a gumbo. And every good Cajun said, amen. 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 So we're going to start with a definition here now that I got your attention thinking about lunch already. Let's talk about a definition of biblical Marriage, because we've got to define this before we dig into this. Here's what the definition is. Biblical marriage is a covenant relationship between God and a man and between God and a woman who make a holy commitment to each other to keep pursuing God as they grow closer together. Let me explain that for you just a little bit. Imagine a triangle and God's at the top 
And on this side, you have a man who has a covenant relationship with God to pursue God. And on this side, you have a woman, a covenant relationship between her and God to pursue God. And they have a commitment to each other. But here's the commitment. We're going to grow closer to God. And as a result of growing closer to God, what happens? They get closer together. If you don't understand that, you're going to think the purpose of marriage is for a man and a woman to come and get closer together to each other and leave God out of it. Okay? If there's tomatoes in it, it's not a gumbo. Okay? If you take God out of it, it's not a marriage. And I need you to understand that. We sat with a couple once and, and really tried to help them with their marriage. And, and as common, he sat down and started telling me all the things that she wasn't doing right. And that's why their marriage was struggling. And then as soon as he was finished, she opened her mouth and started to share all the things that he wasn't doing right. And that's why their marriage was struggling. She was focused on him. He was focused on her. And I got a really good indication early on that neither one of them were focused on God. I said, well, hold on a second. Why don't you tell me about your relationship with God? He said, well, I'm just here to talk to you about my relationship with my wife. I said, I don't think you are. Because if you came here looking for help for your marriage, we need to talk about your relationship with God and your relationship with God. Because here's what I know. If I can get you pursuing God, I can get you pursuing each other. You'll be close enough together. And here's the deal. I only know how to help you with your marriage as God defines it. Okay? You may have a civil union. You may have a partnership. You may have a relationship. But if God isn't in the center of it, you don't have a marriage. Right? All those other gumbos have tomatoes in them. So why, why all the setup? Why all the clarification today, Pastor Don? Because you're about to see Peter's going to take this approach to marriage that's going to contradict the stereotypes. And it's fascinating reading this letter. It was written almost 2,000 years ago. Um, you'll see some of the same stereotypes that existed then still exist today. And rather than saying, here's how to be married, here's what he does. He says to women, here's how to be a Christian wife. And he says to men, here's how to be a Christian husband. And here's how to do this together. And Peter would know. This is really cool. Peter would know because Peter is married. And not only did Peter walk with Jesus, Peter is married. Peter came to the Lord after he was married. Think about it. You don't really think about that too much when you're reading, when you're reading Scripture. But I know there are people in this room that had a marriage relationship before you knew who God was. And your journey as of late has been, how do we get God to be the focus of this thing that existed before him? I think Peter has some insight um, for us to Find out how do we do this thing. But Pastor Don, you don't understand. I'm not the issue. They are. Don't point. They're sitting next to you in church. If they would just change, then my marriage would be better. If they would just change. I, everybody's looking at me stone cold straight ahead. <laughs> nobody's looking around in the middle. I've heard it said this way. The purpose of marriage is change. How many would you agree with that? But until you figure out which one of you God is trying to change, you're going to be frustrated in your marriage. And I got news for you. Peter's going to help us. It's probably not the person sitting next to you that God's concerned about changing as much as is the person sitting in your seat at this very moment. Now, last week at our Resurrection Sunday service, um, Isaac and the team, they did such a good job. The entire OSC worship team collaborated together and wrote that song, He is Risen, 
that we celebrate. Wasn't that a great song that they did? That spoken word that Isaac, that Isaac shared in between the lyrics of that, that was straight from Scripture. That was Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord, um, as we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Y'all remember him saying that? Here's the crazy thing. That's where Peter starts when he goes to jump into this conversation about marriage. Look at this. Here's how Peter would say it. According to Peter, remembering what Jesus has done at the cross is at the center of knowing how marriage is supposed to work. Chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see that? There's so much here. Um, number one, to die to sin and live to righteousness. I heard Pastor Jacob say this for years. The extent to which you're willing to die to yourself your marriage will live. I'm going to say that again. The extent to which you're willing to die to yourself is the extent that your marriage can live. I know in this room there's a few marriages that have existed for well over 50 years. How many realize for a marriage to live that long, there's been a lot of death in, 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 in itself? Would you, Boogie, would you say the same thing? A lot of death happening over 50 years in that. By his wounds... You have been healed, Peter reminds us, not just physically, but emotionally. Do you know there's an emotional healing that can come as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? You don't need a spouse to be emotionally healed. Newsflash. 1996, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger put a movie out called Jerry Maguire. Some of you probably haven't seen it. If you have, there's a really, really powerful scene where Tom Cruise comes and repents and his marriage is a mess and I miss my wife and, and all of this. And he comes before her and he says this phrase, you complete me. And all the women, ah, oh, that's not true. That's not true. The enemy has us thinking that we're incomplete and that we need another person. We need another human to come and to complete us. And if I'm not in a relationship, then I'm not right with God. And that, nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is it is God who completes us. God who made us, who fashioned us, who gifted us with everything we need. You don't need a relationship. You don't need a spouse. You need a savior. And then he talks about you've come to the shepherd and the overseer, and he's capitalized those. Those are titles, those are offices, those are positions. And uh, it's a really neat word, overseer, there in the Greek. Here's what it means. Providing personalized, hands-on care and protection. We think often when we see overseer, we think like the boss or the person who's in charge or some sort of authority. But what it really emphasizes is responsibility to care for others. Now, I want you to think how revolutionary this is. Not only is the finished work of Jesus able to bring healing into the hurt areas of my soul, but the risen work and the risen walk of Jesus is a promise to walk with me in my marriage and provide personalized hands-on care and protection. So you don't just have a Savior 
who has died for your sins so you can be reconciled with God. You have somebody who's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, willing to walk with you through this. Even in the loneliest moments of your marriage, you're not alone. You've got Jesus walking with you. You may feel like a sheep out astray, but you've come back to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. And many times we get into these relationships and we try to, to meet our core needs. Listen, anytime you place divine expectations on a human being, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. Only God can meet these core needs in our lives. And when God is my source, I don't have to look to my spouse to provide for me what only God can provide. I have no gap. If marriage to you is a contract, you're going to look at it this way. It's a 50-50 relationship. I'm going to do my part, and they're going to do their part. Here's the problem. What happens when somebody doesn't show up that day? What happens when you have a difficult moment? What happens if, if you're having a struggle or something at the office is carried over into the home, and you can barely squeak out 40% that day? Well, if they're only going halfway and you're going 40%, what do you have? you got a gap. you got a gap. Let me tell you the picture of marriage is 100-100. It means this way, I'm willing to go all the way, even if she doesn't, and there will be no gap. God provides for me everything I need, not only to provide for her, but everything I need to provide for me in this relationship. And if you think marriage is the kind of relationship where if I do my part and she does, your part, or she does her part, you're going to have a gap. Do you all see that? How do we get this kind of relationship where we're 100-100? Now listen, you may find this hard to believe, um, but your pastor isn't perfect. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. I can be short-tempered. Yes, yes, I, I can be. Um, I can be a little OCD at times. Y'all pray for the staff. Pray for my wife. Um, I, I, I'm particular. That's really what it comes down to. I'm, I'm particular. No, I can be a little more prideful than I ought to be at times, too. And uh, I often will leave this beautiful woman sitting on the front row lacking in our relationship. But I am so grateful that our marriage is not based upon me being able to go all the way or her being able to go all the way. It's based on the fact that Jesus went all the way. And even when I can't go all the way, Jesus makes sure as the overseer of her soul that she is not lacking. And from here, Peter addresses wives and husbands separately. Two different conversations. And we're not going to have time today to dig into the husbands. Y'all can take a sigh of relief. But ladies, don't get mad at your pastor for talking about the wives first. I'm just following Peter. We're going verse by verse here. He picks going with you first, so we're going to do it. Don't get mad at me. I'm just going verse by verse here. But here's my warning. Some of the things Peter's about to say are going to mess you up. Just buckle in, right? They're going to mess you up unless you realize that intrinsic to his understanding of marriage is this idea that God is the center, that Jesus has a finished work on the cross and a risen walk with you today. Are you all ready? Buckled in. First Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read these six verses. He's talking just to the wives. Here's where, we, here's where we're going. 
Likewise, wives, and likewise means this. You can't do what I'm about to say unless you have what I've already talked about. You can't do what I'm about to say unless you already have what I've just talked about. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Wives, take a deep breath and just breathe for a minute. Husbands, look straight ahead and focus on me because what I'm about to say is going to have a really big impact on both of our relationships with your wife after Peter drops that on us. Listen, there's a way to help him without forfeiting your position of influence. There's a way to win him without losing him, a way to lead him spiritually without taking the leadership role. And according to Peter, he would say it this way. Don't try to change him with your words. Try to show him with your life. Don't try to change him with your words. Try to show him with your life. Verse 1, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Listen, ladies, if he's not listening to these words, I don't think he's going to be listening to your words either. Peter would say, there's a better way, I'll show you. Two weeks ago, I had a man tell me, Pastor Don, when I saw the change in my wife, that's when I knew that God was real. One of my favorite stories, thinking about this idea, this concept, this topic that Peter's talking about, is the story of Kim and Gerald. I've known them for over 20 years um, in our church. Kim used to sit halfway up in the center aisle and every Sunday she would have an empty seat next to her. She wouldn't sit on the inside of the aisle. She would sit one seat over and anytime anybody went up to greet her or introduce her, she would remind them, this seat is for my husband. This seat is for my husband. And I watched her week after week, year after year, save a seat for her husband. Now today, Gerald, her husband, has probably discipled single-handedly more men than I know of others in our, in our church. And I can tell you the number of families that have been changed and the number of generations that have been altered, not because of Gerald's discipleship of those men, but because of Kim not complaining, not nagging, not using her words, but living her life in a way that set an example for her husband to follow. How many of you think that's important in that? And I love this. This is the kind of change that Peter's talking about. It looks like this, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very, very precious. Now, I love joking about that word adorning because in the Greek, that word is cosmos. It's like the vast universe, right, where God took something of chaos and brought order to it and, and structure and beauty to creation. Cosmos is actually the same word where you ladies get cosmetics from. You know, what you ladies use to bring the order. I mean, beauty, you know, to, and, and to the chaos that, that exists there. 
um, the beauty of creation. Hey, I'm already in. I might as well keep going. Uh, I'm going to have fun with this today. Listen, society will tell you, ladies, that the sum total of your value is based upon your shape, your size, and your appearance. And it's constantly changing. It's constantly changing. It's a moving target. It's exhausting. It's a trap. It's designed by the enemy of your soul to get you fixated and focused on something that isn't eternal, that doesn't last, and that keeps you from becoming what God wants you to be on the inside of your hidden person. God is more concerned about who you are becoming on the inside than he is about you trying to hit some superficial moving target on the outside. Do you hear me, ladies? Okay, because you can't go to the news rack. You can't go to your social media feed. You can't go to the movies or you can't go on TV to find that kind of truth. That kind of truth is found in God's word. And here's according to Peter what he would say. Let the effort you spend on yourself putting things in order be spent on developing your character, not altering your appearance. That's what Peter would say in the middle. And listen, ladies, remember, your husband sees you when you take everything off. I think Peter's trying to tell us that the change he saw in his wife wasn't anything she could take off at the end of the day. And as a married man myself, I think I would agree with Peter. True beauty lies on the inside, not on the outside. Are you hearing me? Listen, I love you ladies. I have daughters. Keep your braids. Keep fixing your hair. Put on makeup. Wear jewelry. Wear nice clothes. But listen, if your morning routine has you spending more time on your hair and makeup than it does in God's word and in prayer, I think you're missing something that will help your marriage. It's Peter. I need you to understand and see what he's talking about. Y'all still with me? Have I lost y'all? Okay, well, if I haven't, I just might in a minute. Verse number five. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And I know there's some wives that are saying, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. If you think I'm going to call him Lord, Pastor Don, you are missing something. I know the husbands are sitting there. Now, honey, let's just hear what he has to say for, for a few minutes before you, get, before you get out of the way. In verse 5. Why, why does he add the word own to husbands? Your own husbands. There's a specific relationship he's addressing here. Your own husband. That man. That one man. The man that God gave you. The man that chose you. The man that you chose. There's a uniqueness to that relationship. He's not saying, he's not asking all women to submit to all men. He's asking the one wife to submit to the one husband, and there's a difference. Let me explain why I think Peter's saying this or approaching it in this manner, and we'll finish the verse. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Question, how did we get from makeup and hair and submission, obedience, to now fear? How do we do that? Husbands, I want you to listen very, very closely to me. According to Peter, her greatest fear, her greatest source of insecurity is having to submit to a man that isn't submitted to Jesus. I'm going to leave that there for just a second and make sure when you're done getting elbowed by your wife that you can see that up on the screen. The greatest security 
that my wife has in our marriage relationship is not my commitment to her. It's my commitment to Jesus. And she knows at the end of the day, I'm going to do everything I can to please him and grow in him and walk closely in him. And listen to me, she finds security in that. And when a woman can find security, it's not hard for her to submit. Husbands, you're about to get yours in verse 7, I promise. Trust me, ladies, it's coming. But I don't think Peter wants you to check out on these verses as if he's only talking to the ladies. He wants you to see the fear. He wants you to see the struggle, the challenge of a woman wanting to follow, wanting to be led, but not having a godly leader in the home to follow and submit to. And I have yet to find a godly husband growing in his own relationship with God who also has a wife who struggles in submission to his leadership. I haven't found it. Eleven times in the Bible, that little L, Lord, that we see is actually just translated sir. It's it's a title of respect and honor. Can I tell you, submission is really a matter of security. Submission and security go hand in hand. What do you mean, Pastor Don? When your car breaks down, you go and you submit it to the mechanic. When you get sick, you submit your body to the doctor. You plan your retirement by submitting to a financial advisor. Their expertise provides you security, so you willingly submit. And the real question isn't, does she have to submit to my position? The real question, men, is does my position and the way I lead provide her security? Because if my position and the way that I lead provides her security, if it does, she will submit. Y'all hearing me, men? I want to be just as loud, amen, as it was earlier when Sarah was calling him Lord. Do you hear me, husbands? Thank you. Remember, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is necessary for understanding how this marriage thing is supposed to work. Ladies, don't try to change him with your words. Show him with your life. Work on your inside character, not your external beauty. And understand that submission and security go hand in hand. First Peter 2.24, remember how we started this whole conversation? Look at this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just listen to my voice for a few minutes. Here's my question for every person here today. What needs to die in me so that righteousness can live in my marriage. And you may be single. Here's my question. What's the Holy Spirit showing you that needs to die now so that a healthy marriage can live in the future? You may no longer be married. What is the Holy Spirit showing you in your own life? Maybe you see where you came up short for the first time today. But specifically right now, I want to speak to the wives in the room that are sitting next to an empty seat. Or perhaps the emptiness isn't in the seat, but you feel it in your relationship. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for him by name. I want to ask you at some point before you leave service today, reach in that pew pocket and grab one of those red prayer cards. Let us know the struggle. Let us know what's going on so that we can 
pray for you. And listen, if you don't want him to know, call the church office. We'll fill one out for you. But I want to be praying for you in this relationship as you endeavor to honor God by living this way. And if you're here today and your marriage is great, I mean healthy, vibrant. Sure, there's room to grow and improve, but you'd say, my marriage is healthy. Listen to me. I need you. We need you as a church. God's done too much in your marriage to let that experience and wisdom just stay there. And if you'll let me, I'll help you, can, I'll help you discover how you can take those strengths of your marriage and let God use them to help other people. In just a minute, I'm going to invite this whole room to take next steps on their spiritual journey. I'm going to invite them to come to our intro to next steps. If your marriage is strong, would you come? Come so I can help you see where you're at and what steps you can take. This church is going to be built on strong marriages because this church is going to be built on God's word. I need your help. Remember, it's not a gumbo if there's tomatoes in it. And it's not a marriage if it's not built on God's word and the finished work of Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? Do you have that individual committed relationship with him if you don't I want to give you an opportunity to do that I believe it's moments like these after hearing God's word that creation responds that for a few of you here in this room just talking about this has opened your eyes to some things and you may be seeing Pastor Don I've never tried to live my marriage with God at the center with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you if you'd like to do that today, if you'd like to invite Jesus to come and take that seat of authority and lordship in your life. I tell you it's as simple as ABC today. A, admit. If you can admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a righteous and loving God. B, believe. But you believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, the life you couldn't live, to pay a debt that you couldn't pay yourself. A is admit, B is believe, and then C is confess. You have to confess him as Lord and Savior. Savior is the easy part when things are tough and when things are hard, but it's that lordship, that decision to say, God, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna do it your way. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never had God as the center of my life, much less my marriage. But if you're telling me today, you can lead me in a prayer to acknowledge what I think God is already doing in my heart. I'm in. Nobody's looking around and I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I will ask you to do this one thing. Right there where you're seated, before I pray, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand and look up at me so I know who I'm praying with today. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anybody? Thank you. I see your hand. Once you've raised your hand, you can put them down. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Both of you together, I see your hands. Looking up in the balcony today. I see your hands. Both of you. I'm proud of you. Anybody else before we pray? Say this with me, especially those of you that raised your hands today, but also everybody in this room. I want us to pray indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone, that these relationships, these individuals that need Jesus as their Lord and Savior are going to need some people to walk with them and help them continue to take next steps. But those of you that raised your hand, pray this with me specifically. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, and I believe that on the cross you took my sin, 
my shame and my guilt and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare, God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those who were born again today.